concepts of the liturgical year this morning, because it's something that not every church and not every denomination necessarily uses. I'm still aware of you know, churches where uh, a sermon series is chosen uh, by a pastor um, just because he wants to do a series on Galatians or a, a series on the Psalms or something like that. And what I have the great privilege of working in a, in a, in a, a very liturgical church, the Episcopal Church is a very liturgical church. The Roman Catholic Church is a very liturgical church with readings and uh, forms of service that are set down and do not really change much at all from week to week. So uh, if you go to a Roman Catholic Mass in any church in the, in the world, you're really going to find the same order of service with the, the same text. Um, likewise in the Episcopal Church, it varies a little bit more in the Episcopal Church, but not quite so strict as the, as the Romans with, with, with liturgy. But um, you can, by and large, get the same get the same service wherever you go. And I find in the non-conformist churches, it's it's not necessarily a strength and it's not necessarily a weakness. But non-conformist churches tend to be a bit freer. I guess that's why they, in some quarters, refer to as free churches. Um, they 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 do not adhere. We're very good at the two major feasts in the year, aren't we? We have Christmas. And we have Easter. But there are so many other little bits of colour in between that even if our clergy are not aware of the differences, or they probably are aware, but even if they don't use the church here as such, then I think it, it's useful as a guide for us as musicians to be able to, to go to some of these some of these resources and to be able to use what what's there. Now, I thought very briefly I'd run through the church here um, so that we, we, we have a, an idea of where it is. And then I'll talk, talk about some of the music and, and perhaps some of the other things that are involved. Because um, some of the ceremonies, that, some of the ancient ceremonies, particularly in Holy Week, are really, um, can be really nicely adapted into, into any form of service, I think, and give us a bit of colour. And the great thing is that the church here is such an ancient, it's such an ancient tradition, such an ancient heritage. It's not something that's newfangled. It, it's, it's something. And if we go into the plain song, the the plain song of the church in the you know the late medieval period, then it's very clearly laid down. And even in modern um, plain song languages like the graduale or the libus Dualis, it's very, it's very, it's laid down exactly what Sunday certain chants are to be sung. And they go through all 52 Sundays of the year. I was thinking of J.S. Bach. J.S. Bach, when he wrote his over 200, nearly 300 cantatas, was writing for a liturgical church. He was writing for precept biblical texts that were set, and he would write for each Sunday. And he wrote nearly three years' worth of cantatas, one to be performed each Sunday. That's a lot of music. Um, I said the other day to someone that I always have this wonderful vision of Bach on a Wednesday night, thinking, I've not finished the cantata for Sunday, what am I going to do? And quickly scrib either quickly scribbling a or as he did on occasion, 
going to an earlier piece and borrowing a movement that he'd already written. There are some movements which appear in more than one of those cantatas. And I, I like to think he was an extremely practical musician. Anyway, let me, let me briefly go through the church here and tell you some of the things that I've experienced at certain points in the service. Again, if I, some of this may be um, not news to you. Um, some of it may be things you can do and you may, may have ideas that I, I would like to benefit from as well. The, the first Sunday of the church here is Advent. Okay? The, for the church, New Year's Day is the first Sunday of Advent. And um, Advent is a season that used to be a penitential season. Uh, it used to be a season when things were quiet, generally much more a little bit more miserable, um, a little bit more, um, a little bit more stay. I, I, again, where where I work, it's very much a tradition that we do not do any Christmas carols until Christmas Eve. Um, you know, obviously, if there's a carol service or something. When I worked in uh, when I worked in cathedral music uh, in England, because the cathedrals are such a big um, civic resource, I was quite often having to play 20 or 25 carol services in December before before Christmas Eve, um, because the bank we had the local bank would want a carol service. All the schools would want their own carol service. And by the time Christmas Eve came out, I was Christmas out. I, I didn't want to overcome with you faithful anymore, and I was quite happy to, uh, you know, that once in Royal David City, just just lay there for another year. But life is much easier now um, with with a disestablished church in America. Anyway, the um, so Advent is now much more rather than being a time of penitence. There's an element of that to it, but it's seen much more in the church as a time of hope and expectation. Obviously, for Christmas. I always liken it to that point on Christmas Eve where you go to bed and you just can't wait for Christmas. When I was a child, I remember going to bed and just not being able to wait until Christmas Eve came, being so excited that I would lie awake and not want to go to sleep. But I knew if I didn't go to sleep, Father Christmas would, wouldn't come. And so it's that, that's how I look at Advent. It, it's that sort of expectation and that longing and that hope. So all our hymns, all our music references Advent. Paul Mance's wonderful uh, uh, Come Lord Jesus Come is a wonderful piece of Advent. There's some wonderful, uh, Oxford University Press published a really wonderful um, collection from um, music for Advent, which is, which is really, really useful. It has some, all sorts of variety of music in it. Anyway, so that's the four Sundays of Advent. Um, some of you probably have Advent wreaths and mark those four Sundays with wreaths. Do you have the third Sunday of Advent with a pink candle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, um, there are two Sundays in the year that, that is one of them, which is known as Rose Sunday. And, uh, and, rose, and the vest, the colour of vestments is, is, is rose. But a lot of churches don't have rose vestments because they don't want to spend the money just for two Sundays in a year. Um, anyway, so that's that's Advent. The the um, O Come O Come Emmanuel, the Christ, the um, well-known hymn, is a set of ancient antiphons 
that were meant to be sung in the last few days before Christmas. So I think the first verse was the antiphon for the 17th of December, the second for the 18th. And so you can play around with that sometimes. Um, we occasionally will do one verse on, we'll, we'll, we'll accumulate the verses on um, Advent, so that one first Sunday of Advent we'll sing one verse, second Sunday we'll sing two, third we'll sing three, and gradually, again, build up that expectation, because those, they're known as the O antiphons, and you see that in the attribution in the, in the hymn, the O antiphons there, and if you ever look up O antiphons, you'll find the text of O come Another thing, I, another thing that we do in Advent, which is very, very powerful, is we do an Advent carol service. And um, during the Advent carol service, we start with the whole church in darkness. We give everybody a candle when they come in, and the whole church is in darkness. And the choir, um, the choir starts at the back of the church. Now, in in traditional church building, the the back of the church is referred to as the west end, because as you know, old churches were built on the east-west line. Um, and so the back of the church was the west end, and the, the altar is the east end. So the idea being, symbolically, that you look east. People look east, the time is near, you know that. that you're, looking, you're looking up, the sun rises in the east, so you're looking at the sun coming up. Um, it's, it's very, very powerful wonderful symbolism. Um, I actually work in a church that is on the north-south axis, but we still refer to the west end and the east end. And I still know what the south transept is, and I still know what the north transept is. I, I know my directions thanks to church building. There was a wonderful tradition, you see it in some really old churches in England, where the east end, where the altar is, was put off at a slight angle. Have you all seen, anyone seen that? where the building, instead of going in a straight line, it drifts slightly to the right. And that was symbolic of Christ's head drooping on the cross. So if you ever see that, that explains, you know, does his head droop, that, that indicates that and that there. Anyway, I start on Advent Sunday with the choir in the West End, everything in darkness, and we sing um, the Advent Responsory from Carol's Choir, you know those books. Um, I look from afar and lo, I see the power of God coming and the cloud covering the whole earth. And then as the service progresses, we do music and readings, and as the service progresses, the choir moves up gradually and we move to different stations. So we start at the back, sing a couple of pieces there, process to about a third of the way up the nave, then sing something there, progress to another third of the way up the nave, sing there, and then gradually work our way up to the to the choir schools. And when we get to the choir schools, we sing, I always have them singing uh, a canticle called the Benedictus, which was um, Zechariah's hymn of praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and have laid up a mighty salvation for us. Um, and we sing that, and I then improvise from starting very quietly, getting almost a full organ, while the congregation candles are lit and the whole church then fills with light because we've got to the east and the, and the light comes up. And that's a really powerful service. Always finish with my favorite Advent hymn, Lo, He Comes With Clouds Descending, which is 
one of the finest tunes So that's, that's, that's the beginning of the church here. It's a really nice way to kick it off. Um, and that, to me, is Christmas. I get a lot more out of that. When I talk about Lent, I'll make the point, I'll make it now, that composers and music is much better for the miserable seasons than it is for the happy ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, composers do misery and everything else really well. Probably because that's, you know, they... We're much better at expressing emotion. We all, we all respond probably more to, to romantic music than we do perhaps to others, you know, particularly if we're feeling that. I remember as a teenager being madly in love with you know, a different girl each day and going home putting on sloppy music and just feeling miserable. And, you know, there's a certain degree to which that's, that's fine. Anyway, Advent is followed by Christmas clearly and, and we all know about Christmas. We don't need any introduction to Christmas. And we all know every church has its traditions. Every church has pieces of music that uh, I have a couple of pieces which if I don't put down, I know is going to be pain and grief for the following year. So we, we all have Christmas, and that's not ever an issue. Christmas is followed immediately um, by the season of Epiphany, which I think is sometimes a bit of a Cinderella season. Uh, Epiphany, the actual feast day of Epiphany is the 12th day of Christmas, the 6th of January. And um, we mark it in Little Rock with a, with a combined service with all our Episcopal churches. We, we have a big, big deal for Epiphany. And then the season of Epiphany, which is a, is a variable season for reasons we'll explain in a minute. And um, that has themes of light, of, again of hope. Uh, on the 2nd of February, is the Feast of Candle Mass, um, which is the, the Feast of the Presentation of Christ in the Temple. And that's February the 2nd. And that's always a, a nice occasion to use candlelight again. There are services, if you, if you find various service resources, there's a, something called the Service of Light, which is, uses canticles and candles and, and everything. Candle mass, of course, is called candle mass because everyone, everyone had candles and, and did use that light. The light has come into the world. Simeon, you know, to be a light, light in the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel, is the song of Simeon when he, he, he met Jesus for the first time in the temple. And that, that canticle called the Nuncumitis is a very, very strong part of, of, of any musical or liturgical. We, we really hover around in Epiphany. Uh, we can go up to seven or eight Sundays in Epiphany. The last year, we only had two or three Sundays in Epiphany because um, Easter then determines everything else. And the date of Easter, I can never remember exactly how it's set, but it's the first Sunday after the spring equinox or something. And there is a, in, in the, um, I don't know about any Baptist publications or any non-conformist publications, but in the Anglican prayer book, we have the date of Easter up until 2080 uh, already laid out in our prayer book. Um, it's going to be on my birthday when I'm 62. So my 62nd birthday is going to be April 17th. And I was quite surprised looking back that actually Easter Sunday hadn't been on my birthday uh, in my life. 
So it was, I've had good, I remember Good Fridays and Monday Thursdays. Anyway, um, Ash Wednesday is the next, is, is what, deter, Easter determines the, the season of Lent. And we, we know, we know, probably know a fair bit about Lent. A lot is apocryphal. We all know that, you know, the Roman Catholics do not eat fish, do not eat meat on Fridays. Um, that's, that's a, not an urban legend, it, it's one of those, those things. Fast food places make a really good living out of fish sandwiches in, in the six weeks of that. There are, um, you know, Ash Wednesday is a service, um, and again, probably many, many of your churches do mark Ash Wednesday. Um, do you use Ash? There's a, there's a, there are a few churches now that offer ashes to go. They, they go to railway stations and do commuters and everything else. Um, and isn't that the, it's, you're supposed to use the palms from Palm Sunday the previous year. You do, the palm yeah. crosses from Palm Sunday get burned. And we normally burn them on Shrove Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday. Yeah. And in England it's Shrove Tuesday, it's Pancake Day. Uh, and we, 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 we have a ceremonial burning. Um, but I think they just buy ashes from the church supply company, actually. Uh, anyway, Lent, Lent proceeds through the next five or six Sundays up to Palm Sunday. Uh, the fourth Sunday of Lent is known as Gaudete Sunday, and it's the, the other Sunday in the year when pink vestments are included. The English name for um, fourth Sunday in Lent is Refreshment Sunday. Um, Technically, even during Lent, Sundays remain feast days. So technically, if you've given up chocolate during Lent, you are allowed to eat it on Sundays. That's my justification. <laughs> because the 40 days of Lent do not include Sundays. Um, so you, you can, um, you know... I always thought that was strange. But yes. <laughs> yeah. And Sunday you can rejoice or something. That's right. Now in, do. Exactly. Now in the Mass or the Eucharist, Eucharistic liturgy, the Gloria, which is the canticle that opens, Glory be to God on high and in earth peace, that's omitted. And um, we also omit the word Alleluia. So any hymn that uses the word Alleluia is, is um, persona non grata for that, for that period. Do you, um, sorry, do you also do that here in Advent? Um, some places do. We, we don't because, as I said, Advent, the emphasis on Advent has shifted in the last few years from being seen as a season of penitence. The, um, I mean, the vestment, the, the liturgical colours were, I remember purple, the colour of penitence, and then being used in Advent. And now I think blue tends to be much more the Advent colour. Um, our, pa our pastor. He, he just retired, but our pastor each year for the children's sermon used to have a great big sign with Alleluia on it, and he'd get a box. And for the children's sermon, he'd put the Alleluia in the box and put it back in the altar nice. and told nice. them that we could bring it back out on Easter Sunday. That's really <laughs> well, I mean, the Gloria is, is that's always um, the moment I know Easter has arrived is when I play the Gloria yeah. for the first time that, that, that weekend. Um, as I say, in England, Refreshment Sunday was always the day in which the servants in the house were allowed to go home and visit their mothers. And they took, often took with them something called a simnel cake, 
which was a fruit cake with a uh, pink icing and with 12 little nuts in icing on the top to represent the 12 apostles. That's a simple cake. And we have someone at church who every year brings it a simple. Refreshment Sunday in Britain is the British Mother's Day. And that's where I think Mother's Day came from. So I was, my mother never gets a card now from me. <laughs> I have to, unless I've thought the previous May, to get one for the coming month. So um, British Mother's Day is always the fourth Sunday in Britain. Um, anyway, there's a, and then we hit Holy Week. And I do want to say a little bit about Holy Week because there are some some ceremonies which uh, which we do, which I'm not sure are terribly well known. This year, I guess Palm Sunday is we all have our you know we all can do our thing on Palm Sunday. That's a, that's a, a nice easy one in terms of the church planning. I don't know if any of you are in churches that use real donkeys. Um, <laughs> I know there are churches that really use real donkeys. Um, anyway, there is a. The, the service on Palm Sunday is liturgically is a real a contrast. We start with great joy, and the, in, certainly in the Episcopal Roman Catholic tradition, it starts with great joy, the welcoming of Christ into Jerusalem, everyone waving their palms, all glory, Lord, and honor, big, 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 big joy and fun. We have children walking down the aisle with banners that they've designed, and, and we make a big meet outside in, the, in our courtyard and we, we process into the church. Then, then in the Episcopal tradition, the, uh, the entire gospel passage, we don't have a, uh, a regular gospel reading as such, which we, which we normally do. We just read the entire passion story. It takes a long time. We read it in parts, having members of the congregation be Peter or members of the congregation be the priest takes a long time, um, then there's a very short term. And then at that point, the service becomes a little bit more solid, considerably more solid. I my uh, favorite anthem for Palm Sunday is the Stainer, God So Loved the World. There is also a wonderful setting of that text by Bob Chilcott, which if you don't know that setting, is well worth looking for. I think he wrote it for Lovers Lane Methodist Church in Dallas. Really, really fine. And again, Oxford University Press published a collection of music called Lent to Easter. And it's 50 pieces and it's really, really useful. There's, some wonderful, there's a wonderful arrangement in there of um, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord, also by Bob Children. There's a wonderful piece by Richard Shepherd, who's a well known British composer in England. Um, if You Love Me, Keep My Command. The service I resurrected this year was the service of Tenebrae. Has anyone heard of <coughs> Tenebrae? Yes. It's a wonderful service. It's the opposite of uh, the Advent service. It, it's a service in which uh, we use a lot of plain song, a lot of psalmody, and, and some really nice readings from people like Augustine. And during that service, you have a big candle, candelabra, big, it's called a hearse, which is where the word it's called a hearse. Fourteen candles in a, um, I guess, two like two menorahs. So it comes up into a triangle. And as each reading and each psalm is read, the candles are extinguished. 
and the center candle is uh, is left is is left alive, and uh, towards the end of the service is hidden. Is hidden behind. We hide hid it behind the altar, and that's the light of Christ, which is hidden but never actually put out. And then uh, the whole church is in darkness. We sang something suitably melancholy, and that point there's a very loud noise which depending on your theology represents either the earthquake of the crucifixion or represents Christ going down into hell and the old term harrowing hell okay, that so there's a big noise now the best moment of a year for the organist because all I did is use my forearm on full organ and just put the organ down and it made me jump so I don't know what to do with anyone else. It's quite annoying. I'm not going to demonstrate it, but it's quite annoying. Hold that down for five or six seconds, then the candle is brought out of everyone bit. That's an incredibly powerful service. And it's um, one that's well worth exploring. As musicians, I think we are involved. Sometimes we don't use drama nearly enough. And liturgy and planning of services it's very dramatic. One of our priests is a, a former actress. And she, so she has this, this real sense of, of drama and stagecraft. And it obviously needs to be rehearsed and done well, but when done well, it can be very hard. The traditional time for that service is the Wednesday of Holy Week. But we did it, we've done, we do it on the evening of Palm Sunday. Once every three or four years, I feel the need to do a stainer crucifixion. Uh, I have a great personal um, love of that piece. Um, some people would say that's irrational. But, uh, you know, it, was a, it was once a cathedral organist who was asked what he thought of stainer's crucifixion. His reply was he thought it was a jolly good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on Monday Thursday, which is the, the occasion in the church when we celebrate the institution of the Lord's Supper, the, the institution of communion service, that again has, can be seen as a little break in the, in, the, in the gloom. It can be quite a joyful service at the start. Um, some churches will bring the glory back, but that's that again. It's not unknown. Uh, the colour is white. The liturgical colour is white on Thursday, again in a lot of places. Um, that includes the ceremony of washing the feet, um, which is the mandatum, which is the command from which we get the word morning. Um, and we, again, in, in the tradition that I know, we make a, a big thing of that, having the, a formal foot washing. Uh, we sing, I usually put down, Ubi Caritas, where God is love, where there is love, there is God. Um, I, there's a nice piece by Richard Shepherd in that collection I mentioned, If you love me, keep my commandments, my old greater father. Um, no, I'm sort of, a new commandment I give unto you, I'm thinking Thomas Tanner. Uh, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have. And at the end of Maundy Thursday, we um, 
we have what is called the stripping of the order. And we completely denude the church of any furnishing and everything. So on Good Friday it's bare. Any cloth, any cross, any, any decoration is, is removed. Uh, and while it's being removed, we sing the first 22 verses of Psalm 22, uh, which is the, the psalm that Christ quoted when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, I, I like to do it a plain song, but it can be done. I know churches where they will sing the uh, Miserere by Allegri. Um, that is beyond some choirs who don't have surprises in sing top C. But there are other settings of that text. Um, and um, that is normally a piece that should be sounding good on Ash Wednesday. That's another story. Good Friday is a very simple liturgy for us. It's, um, we have a ven what we call the veneration of the cross, which nonconformists tend to be a little bit wary of because they think you're bowing to a piece of wood and else, but it's just a, we put a bare, big bare wooden cross at the front and people just can gaze at it and while we sing as a, an ancient text, the ancient text that was normally sung to him is called the reproaches. Um, oh my people, what have I done to you? How's the say? And then on Easter Saturday, we precede, Easter technically begins at sundown on the Saturday terms of church because we have the Easter Vigil. Uh, if you if you were Roman Catholic, if you remember the Roman Catholic Church, of course you you are allowed to go to church on Saturday evening as part of your Sunday and make that your Sunday obligation. Um, the Saturday Vigil Mass is is a very popular mass uh, with a lot of people because it frees up the whole day on Sunday. Uh, when I lived in Ireland, the time for me to go shopping was always about six o'clock on a Saturday because it was it was it was only the Protestants that were were shopping at that time. <laughs> and in the south of Ireland it was even better because there aren't many Protestants in the south of Ireland. Um, Easter Day uh, we know about and I've made the point yesterday, I sometimes think Easter Day is probably the most under-rehearsed day of the year. Because uh, Good Friday and Monday Thursday take a lot of energy with all those different and then the church here gets into, into, into party mode because we have the great 50 days of the great 50 days of Easter and the, the church really is in the season of Easter for those 50 days we have we have a huge candle that sits up at the front a paschal candle which sits there for the whole 50 days of Easter uh, it then is put away but used at funerals because in, funerals are regarded as Easter liturgies. So um, we, we always have an Easter, the, the uh, colours and the trappings for Easter day every time we have a funeral, which of course is entirely appropriate. Um, the, the, next feast, the next feast that comes along is the Feast of the Ascension. And that comes on the 40 days after Easter. It's always on the Thursday. The Roman, the Roman Catholics, because they can't get people out on Thursday for one, for one sort of slightly frivolous reason, um, 
they, they have transferred the piece of the Ascension to the following Sunday. They've done the same with the Epiphany too. So the Epiphany is often on a Sunday. Um, the Ascension is, a, is a, obviously a joyful time. It's, it's still part of the Easter season. Uh, there is uh, a couple of wonderful settings of God has gone up with a triumphant shout is, is the Advent text that I was associated with that. Um, but anything that's, that's praise, majesty, Christ King, crown him in many crowns is a great hymn. The Sunday after Ascension often is the occasion when we will use a lot of the Ascension music because we let people know what they missed two, two days ago. Then um, comes the great feast of Pentecost, and we all, I don't think that needs any introduction. We did something I hadn't seen, I've only been in this church primarily for a year now, and we did something that I haven't witnessed before, which is very appropriate. Um, we had um, everyone who spoke a foreign language was invited to submit the language they spoke, and the gospel was procured in that language. Mm -hmm. And then when we read the gospel, everyone stood up and about 40, 50 different languages, the gospel was read simultaneously in all those languages. That's really effective. I was, I was quite impressed. Yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's impressive. We even had Old Testament Greek. We, oh, not Old Testament Greek, there's no such thing. But we had... Um, <laughs> there is we a probably, few so. Yeah, we probably did have Old yeah. Testament yeah. Greek. Um, <laughs> we, you know, the, 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 pre, the clergy use their knowledge of Hebrew. Which church are you at? I'm at St. Mark's Church in Liverpool. In Little Black Park? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, so that was really effective as a, as a, as a, as a way to, to emphasize the gospel. And then the, the, it was read in English so we all did understand. Um, and then comes, the, then comes the only church feast that is named after a doctrine as opposed to after a person or an event, and that's the Sunday of the Trinity. And uh, there's, there are some settings of I saw the Lord, there's, a, there's some wonderful, there's some, some good music for that, some great hymns. Holy, holy, holy is the, is the great Trinitarian hymn, of course. So that, that's the first thing that goes into my music list uh, for Trinity Sunday. And then we hit what's known as ordinary time. Final Sunday before the final Sunday of the year has has become in recent years has become known as the Feast of Christ the King, and that again is a, is a good theme. To me, it's like having a big party. It's like Shrove, it's a liturgical Shrove Tuesday. You get rid of all the you get rid of all your energy before you hit out there. So that's the church year in in, uh, in, in fairly brief. There are some other occasions during the year that we mark. We mark certain church feasts um, that we're aware of. Um, the, there's the Feast of the Transfiguration. Uh, I think that's in, that's in August. I can't remember my dates. Uh, we, um, the first day of the year is known as the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. Um, the, I think the, Ro the Roman Catholic Church has a Marian feast that day. Um, there's Corpus Christi, which is in June, which 
which is again a celebration of the Eucharist. And, and there's music for all of these things. We tend, we mark, we're Saint Mark's Church, and we tend to mark Saint, Saint Mark, our patronal saint at the end of April, Saint Mark's Day is the end of April. And I know other churches do that. Uh, there are things they call rogation days. You know about rogation days, there are two or three of those in a year, and they're uh, they're in May. Some of them are in May, and uh, they mark Thanksgiving for the creation. And on the rogation days in the in ancient England or in old England, the the parish clergy would beat the, what's called beat the bounds of the parish. And they would walk around the edge of the parish, blessing all the fields. And so. It's a time when we can sing our harvest pieces. We can sing some come you thankful people come. Things like that. So it gives us a little bit. Uh, it gives us a little bit more. Um, a little bit more occasion. Now, the one thing that um, I don't know whether your churches use it, but I know several do, is the use of the Revised Common Lectionary, which is now out. Um, and I talked earlier about people choosing their own um, choosing their own readings. There is a there is something called the Revised Common Lectionary, the RCL. And the, the wonderful thing about that is that it provides it provides a series of series of readings. I, I did look up the uh, this is for example Advent. Um, it provides an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. Um, Hang on, I'll take this. Put a flea in your pastor's ear 
about the revised condemnation. I really think it's wonderful. Now, obviously, with organ music uh, as organists and uh, as musicians, the, um, the the church seasons give us give us real opportunities. Um, by the way, this this is a book that um, this is a book that we've been using at St Mark's to discuss the church year in recent years. It's and I found this quite useful. Um, it's pretty practical. This one is designed with the Episcopal Church in mind, but any you will find, I'm sure, lots of other books. Planning the church year. Um, it gives the uh, it gives the reasons for some of the ancient ceremonies. Uh, Epiphany, for example, it points out that uh, there are certain Sundays in the year where bap baptisms are more appropriate than, than others. Um, now, I'm aware that you know the Episcopal Church and others. Some the, the Episcopal Church that baptise infants have a, have a different theology of baptism um, or a different, slightly different view of it. But there are Sundays that the, the first Sunday of Advent, for example, is always the, the baptism of Christ. It's always when we, we mark the baptism of Christ. And, and uh, you know, that's clearly an appropriate Sunday for, for, for baptism. And, but I, we found this very useful. It's called Planning the Church Year. And it's by Leonel, L-E-O-N-E-L, Mitchell. Leonel Mitchell. Um, and there is a new edition of this. This is the old edition. There's a new bright white cover with, with red white. We've, we've done baptisms on Easter vigils. Yes, that's right. Well, that was the traditional time. It was yeah. when the... Um, and there is a whole series... There's a wonderful old series of rituals in the Sundays which meant, I think the Roman Catholic Church still would, will do, and certainly some, I've seen it done at All Saints Beverly Hills, which was a really, really fine Episcopal Church. They had a great class, seeing rectical carolats. Uh, I went there every Sunday during Lent. The, the, and the people who were going to get baptized or, or confirmed on um, Easter Eve, the ancient period, the ancient thing was that they would be allowed to the first half of the service and then they would be asked to leave while the communion happened. Um, and they were given little things like salt. They were given things like bread. They were given little gifts as they left. And I can't remember all of them. But there was, there's something for every Sunday. And then so when they come into uh, church on Easter, the Easter Eve, that's their, they're, they're welcome to communion for the first time. It's, it's again, very, very powerful symbolism. Very dramatic, and it, the, the, the tradition and the heritage of what we have is sometimes overlooked because we're so keen to get into, I guess, modern things um, that, that we need to, I think, resurrect some of that sometimes. And, and the, the studies I read show that young people like the old and, and like that element of tradition. That that's what that's what attracts them. I think we present it really attractively, and uh, we, can, we can do great things. <clears throat> now, in terms of music and music resources, there are several. There are several things I like to, and I was trying to find it, and I, I couldn't get online earlier because my I lost my password. Um, I was trying to find it, but if you go online, you will find, for example. Um, plain song chants, as I mentioned earlier, some of the plain song chants set through Sunday. I like occasionally to find 
if I'm at a loose end I, and I'm on the fourth Sunday of ordinary time or whatever, I like to find the plates on chance for that day. And, and, and either I will improvise on them or I will play them through. You, plate song is, is wonderful to improvise on. And I'm, I've talked about that in my session on two minute interlude. Plate song is, is wonderful because they, there's no expectation on a, on a particular pulse. And you can um, let me let me you know we all know we all know this this plate song melody.
this one starts on Ash Wednesday. So you can see at the beginning, he, he, he lays out each Sunday. Um, Advent 1, Advent 2, Christmas Day, Holy Family, Christmas, Mary, Mother of God, Christmas, um, Baptism of the Lord, Last Sunday of Epiphany, Transfiguration, which is August the 6th. I was right, I, I knew it was August. Um, Ash Wednesday, Lent 1, Lent 2, Lent 3, Lent 4, Lent 5. Easter 1, Easter 2, Easter 3, Easter 4, Easter 5. Gives you the plates offered. Gives you a piece based on the plates offered each Sunday. And, and um, again, they do, they're, not, they're not that tricky. They're not that tricky. Um, let me try, and this one only lasts a minute, they're short. Let me play this one for Easter 2. Church at Bath worked in was in very little. 
you know, Luther, I don't think Luther ever really thought he was becoming a Protestant. Luther was, was trying to reform the church from within. He, wasn't, he didn't try to start a new church. He had no intentions. He had no intentions. The same with Henry VIII, actually. Henry VIII thought that he was a Catholic king for the rest of his life. And um, the Lutheran service is virtually identical to the, uh, the Roman map. It is identical. I would say if you want to know what the Roman mass looked like in the 14th and 15th century, you look at either the Church of England or the, the Cranmer's Prayer Book of 1549, which was a translation of that service, with perhaps one or two bits of tinkering, but or else you look at the Lutheran service, which, which is, again, putting it into the vernacular, which was one of the, one of the big changes in that period. So chorale preludes are extremely useful. Hymnals are extremely useful. Um, Many hymnals are arranged. I don't know about you, I, in my office I have about four shelves of hymnals. I have every single denomination. Um, I have Baptist hymnals stretching back for a long, long time. I have quite a collection of hymnals. Um, the, uh, you can get play, I was trying to locate the site, but there are, plain song is, is a tricky one to get because the notation for plain song is often on those, those nudes, those four lines with the the weird shaped notes, and it's difficult to read. Um, you can learn to read it, uh, but I was lucky enough to sing it as a, as a boy, and so we got used to seeing and following, knowing the signs. But there are several people who've, who've written out in modern notation. Um, and again, they've organized it. The, the ancient collection is, the, say, the graduali, uh, or the liber usualis, they're the two big collections. So that's, that's really how I, how I approach the church here. I find it an incredibly useful, useful thing. I think it's something that many churches don't actually make full use of. And there are huge opportunities in it, not only for dramatic liturgy, but for really creative use of music um, and, and educating, educating people. I like the fact that it's a yearly cycle, so that every year we... Every year, I like a degree of predictability in my life. I have a four-year-old, so I have my own predictability with my four-year-old. Um, but I like church to be a little bit predictable. What I do find is that every year, I manage to find something different about every season. So one year, I focus. My focus is drawn to a different aspect, say, of Holy Week, or a different aspect of Christmas. Um, you know, one year, I may think, more about the shepherds, and one year I may think more about the wise men, and, and my head starts inventing all sorts of um, theology and about all that. But I, I do find that you know it's not it's not simple repetition, and, and uh, you know I know people who don't people who don't know that tradition sometimes I think recoil from having exactly the same words said every week, or just, you know, just knowing exactly what's happening. But there can be a great, uh, a great benefit in that repetition. Um, you know, one of the tricks I was always taught when I felt, well, I was always taught, I wasn't taught, but 
one of the things I've always been told is um, to say what's called the Jesus prayer and just to repeat it and repeat, repeat it if I'm feeling bad or miserable. Have mercy on Jesus, have mercy on me and miserable, not miserable, but have mercy on me, sin. And that's just say that over and over again. And it's the repetition that actually creates a rhythm. And that rhythm creates its own dynamic. So rather than just sit there and be completely free in your thoughts, the Roman Catholic Church uses the rosary for the same purpose. That's a, you know, that's a, a repetitive, rhythmic prayer. And there are different forms of the rosary. Get a, pair, get a set of rosary beads and you can find different sets of the rosary prayer that, that are uh, just use the Lord's Prayer and use different forms of, of prayer that you know you, you would find you may find more um, more to your your taste. Uh, there are Anglican rosaries, there are Presbyterian rosaries, there are all sorts of things. It's it's all that sort of thing and it all relates to this this sense of the church here as rhythm and, and how we use music within. So so there we go. There's our there's our church here. Thank you very much. Thank you.